Welcome back to the Brace Yourselves podcast. New mic, new me, Ian. It's very nice to hear. The I sound quality, I, I, I already know, listeners, it's, it's <laughs> leap and bounds uh, on my side. And mine, yeah, right. mine is going to sound worse and worse every time you upgrade. We've had a lovely weekend of Premier League football. One more lovely for me. One not painful, but maybe just a bit boring for Ian. No, so, I think we'll get, well, we'll get into it later. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that result. I'm very happy. It was a tense game, so to come out with that, I'm, I'm quite... It was a tense game. It was a very I'm tense game. I'm comfortable with it. I'm comfortable is the word I'm going to go with. Okay, right. So we should probably hop straight into it. We are going to start at Battling Brighton. I liked this result very oh, much. This is the most unlucky, lucky team in the league. Like We keep going on about how they just can't catch a break. And then they're given a break and they mess it up. And then they're given another break and they seem to make it count. The thing is, you say a break, but I think Brighton deserved their point. I think they played very well. I think they gave Liverpool an incredibly difficult game, more difficult than Liverpool would probably like to admit. I think we've spoken about the Yotta factor before and he continues to be that X factor that carrying Liverpool forward because, again, he scored an absolutely outrageous goal. Yeah. But what I meant by a break is the fact that Brighton, in my opinion, maybe deserved to win in some aspects. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just kept going. But they're so unlucky. Like, how many times they hit the woodwork? Then they got a pen and they missed that pen. And then it's just kept piling on. You're just like, Mm. you're never getting it. But then at the same time, the luck is playing down their end. Offside, offside, offside. You know, so it's just, that's what I meant by giving them a break is like, they play so hard and they play so well at the moment, but it's just not coming together on that final section for them. Yeah, I do know what you mean. I think, obviously, more pies, not in good form. That penalty miss is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. We should. The, the thing is, right, I think with penalties, I think the agreed consensus when it comes to what's acceptable and what's not, is as long as you get it on target, if you miss, people don't really care, right? Unless you do a Lukman and try and penenka it in the 98th minute for a draw and it gets saved. That's, that's slightly different. But yeah. if you genuinely just try to shoot and you get it on target and the keeper saves it, People can't be too critical because it's the you know the keeper's actually had an input. But when the when when Morpai not only absolutely beats Allison, Allison dives completely the wrong way. What's going on? But then it trickles past the post. It is frustrating. Uh, I think Aaron Connolly is an interesting one because uh, again I have a Brighton fan, which we've spoken about a couple of times on the stream. He, he seems to rate him quite a bit along with that web um, that Webster, but incredibly good at getting into space incredibly good at creating space finishing is so dodgy sometimes like he went through he split that Liverpool back back line and we're not going to be too critical of that because we know that Liverpool are currently suffering injuries that's that's naturally going to happen to miss like that I'm just like come on man at least get it on target and again I think there's a real issue with the wastefulness of Premier League struggles in general not getting the shot on target like, if you get it on target and the keeper makes an incredible save, no one's really going to be upset about it. But those early chances of Brighton nearly cost them in this game. And yes, we will get to the contentious penalty decision, listeners. We will get to it. But first, we've got to criticise Nico Williams for even bringing more, more pie down. That was a stupid yeah. penalty to give away. I guess that's the inexperience of youth. Right, Ian? He's just not used to it at the top level, terrified that he's going to cost him a goal. And then in, by that, 
does get it cost them and nearly cost yeah, them. Yeah, and I, and I think there's also just a general nervousness nervousness to Liverpool. They, I don't think they expected Bryson to come at them that hard and that fast. And when that happens, you're you're scrambling all of a sudden, mm. and that's when mistakes happen, and that's what teams are trying to capitalize on. But well, lo and behold, Brighton are unable to capitalize on it. The thing is, Brighton didn't have Lamptey, which is a, a, a huge part of their attacking um, security and and their confidence to go forward and an attacking outfit. You know, half the yeah. time I see I Lamptey's a right back. I see him in the in the top half of the pitch nearly eighty percent of the game. So I'm not surprised, and I don't think Liverpool should be surprised. And I don't know how teams keep doing this. They keep going to Brighton and going. Do you know what? Brighton really, really wanted to have a go today. So I'm shocked. Why are you shocked? Because it seems that Brighton want to have a go every single bloody yeah. week this is a question of are people looking at game tapes or are they just looking at results because yeah. if you look at the results you know you go oh brighton we'll get the points but if you look at the tapes they're on it they're going every single time they're fighting tooth and nail they are one of the best attacking outfits in the premier league i completely agree with that they they're so footballing wise they're incredible and they are yes. unlucky they are an unlucky unit and potter's got them well drilled well motivated I, I, I'm sure they're going to stay up because if they keep getting results against like that against the top six clubs, then you know they've got nothing to worry about. They're, they're too, in my opinion, Brighton are too good to go down, and that's not me being biased because I'm geographically close to them. I just they are a good side neutrally. Are, I just, I just want to know what's 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 the thing that's missing for them. What is making them not get those three points? And the striker, they they have a striker issue. Right, they've yeah. got three average strikers. They've got Danny Welbeck, who's an average striker. I can attest to that. I watched him for years at Manchester United. They've got Aaron Connolly, who's young, potentially talented, but wasteful. Mm. And then they've got Morpai, who's like Marmite. You either love him or you hate him each match day. Yeah. You know, some match days he's absolutely incredible, and other match days he's terrible. And when was the? I mean, look, they had a talisman in Glenn Murray, right? He was uh, he scored yeah. hundred goals for the club. He was a unit for them in the championship, and he kept when he first came up to the Premier. Did okay, but he's well past it, and they've never really been able to replace him. And maybe Brighton do need a target man because they play a lot of aerial balls in a lot of crosses into the box. Sure. All they need is a clinical striker, and they'll start picking up points for fun. But until they get that, you know, it, it's a long journey. To, to the to the top of the table, if if the dream could ever be realised, Brian. Um, so we have to speak about VAR. Sure. Where where, we, where do we want to start on this one? Well, th- I'm gonna. Sorry, any Liverpool fans. I'm gonna dig you out here a little bit. Surprise, surprise, Man United fan digging out Liverpool fans. But you are not a bloody special case. I say it every week. Last season, you were happy for VAR to benefit you. This now, really? after this game, oh, suddenly Henderson's coming out saying this is an affront. It has to be changed. I want to get back to playing football the way it used to be. Honestly, <laughs> I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was BT or Sky Sports did him dirty. They showed the pen and then they had Henderson going, ask anyone. They'll say it's not a pen. And you just see him get clattered. You're like, I know. I know. It's, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it is a joke. Liverpool think they're a special case. Well, obviously, we're going to have to speak about Klopp after this because yeah. that was, that was what, oh my God, rattled FC. Henderson crying about it, Milner crying about it on social media. The reality is, in the modern game, Robertson kicks well back when they're going for a 50-50 and he makes contact. I'm sorry, in the modern game, yes, 20 years ago it might not have been a penalty, 10 years ago it might not have been a penalty, but now... Today, by the law, that is a penalty. 
don't cry about it. There's no crying about it. You didn't take your chances. Yes, you were offside twice, but you were rightfully offside. I'm sorry, them's the rules. You were offside. We could see minimally or marginally that you yeah. were, in fact, offside, Mohamed Salah. This, 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 is, this is the argument I don't understand. Whether like, oh, it's minimally. It doesn't matter. The VAR offside, you cannot argue with because it's maths. It's pure, basic mm. fact. That is that point. It's not conjecture. It's not, oh, maybe this was that. It's literally, that's the rule. That's the line. You're off. There's no arguing with it, but yet there's still an argument to be made, and I don't really get it. The thing is, I don't want to be too critical of Liverpool because they're a good side. Liverpool fans, you are a good side. You're a good team. And But when... The problem is when you start to cry about results and by cry, I mean, complain about them, every marginal decision you start to contest, people start to, as neutrals, not like you. And guess who used to be like that? Oh, wait, Man United used to be like that. Ten years ago, everyone hated Manchester United fans. Everyone is slowly starting to hate you because you're not being graceful in your victory. Just because you've won a Champions League and a Premier League in the last couple of years doesn't mean you're God's gift to football. But because you act like it, neutrals are starting to turn against you and wanting to see you lose, which is rattling you more, which is feeding the cycle. And again, it's, it's you're just your, they're their own worst enemy. If you are God's gift to football, then you can take a 12-30 kickoff. You can play three games a week because you should be that good. You should be that good of a club. There's, what, 25 men on the bench these days? Mm-hmm. You should be able to handle this. And look, we spoke last week, Ian, about potentially maybe we should have five subs this season in the Premier League because of how back-to-back football is. You know, United played in the Champions League last night and then we got to go again this weekend. You're playing tonight and you got to go again this weekend. I'm sure it is exhausting, but we have to just make do this year. You know, next year it'll probably be different. It'll be more well thought out. Maybe we'll get a winter break. There's potential, potentially we're going to have, you know, the Euros they're going to have to take into account. So... You know, it's it's an interesting discussion point, but I just wanted to say that about VAR because it's like Liverpool, you act like Liverpool that when something doesn't go your way, it's the first time something's never gone anyone's way in football, and it's just yeah. it's just petulant and annoying. And then obviously that's all compounded by Jurgen Klopp losing his head with Des Kelly on BT Sport. My God, what was he thinking? You, look, Liverpool fans defend it as passion, or Klopp, Kloppites defend it as passion, yeah. but it's not Des Kelly's fault, right? It's not his fault about fixture congestion, about the, uh, the way that the game went. He is there, yes, doing his job, trying to get bites out of you, yeah. as he said, but you've been doing this for a long time, Jurgen. You've lost Champions League finals, you've won Champions League finals. You've won Premier Leagues and Bundesligas, you've lost them. You know how to handle yourself and conduct yourself in an interview. And people are like, well, he's fighting the player's corner. No, I'm sorry. I didn't agree with it when Ollie said it. I didn't agree with it when Pep said it. And I'm not agreeing with you when you said it because every team has to go through it. And if anyone was going to bloody say it, trust me, Mourinho would be the first one out the gate going, Hoo-dah! too many fucking um, games in a row. But he's not. Because Mourinho is quietly confident this season, and I, I, we will circle back round to that. For me, you're just starting to rub people up the wrong way, Liverpool. That's that's what I think is happening, and just be careful because you can enter the category that we've been in since we've achieved the, the mountain of success that we have, which is hated, adored, but never ignored. Because people won't shut up about your failings. You know, Man United lost in the Champions League last night, and that's all I'm really going to say about it. But you know, we went from 
a, a terrific comeback on the weekend to those lows. And now everyone doesn't want to talk about the highs of the weekend. All they want to talk yeah. about is the lows. So if you want to go to that club, buy into your own hubris, your own ego, your own platform, your own dynasty, whatever you want to do. But just take a step back, start grinding out those results again, and just be humble and accept when football doesn't go your way. Yeah, because, because they're just pushing themselves into dangerous territory where no one's ever going to side with them. No one's going to care if you should have won a game or you shouldn't have won. They're not going to care. They're going to root for the smaller teams. They're going to mm -hmm. root for whatever team you're against. And like, especially when we talk Champions League, Europa, whatever, we don't want to see that for English teams. We always want to be backing them because we want to see them do well in Europe. But, you know, I bet people are celebrating when Liverpool aren't doing so well. And oh, it happens. People love, neutrals love to, when United are losing, they're like, eh, <laughs> you know, happens all the time. Uh, so welcome to the club, guys, because people are starting to turn on you too. We move from Liverpool to the other side of Manchester, the man we're getting my rivals out of the way early here, right? So get the bad taste out of my yeah. mouth. So obviously the question has to be asked is, well, are Man City back? Can you judge that against Burnley? Well, no, I don't think you can. And I think there's an interesting stat which sort of backs up what you've just said. The last three times Burnley have played Man City at home in the Premier League or at the Etihad, um, yeah. they've lost 5-0 every okay. time. And for a moment, Burnley thought they were going to break it when they went 6-0 down. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Obviously, Nick Pope was not in net. That's the most no. important thing, right? Yeah. It was always going to be difficult. City looked up for it. They looked like they finally switched on. They were hungry. But also, certain teams are bogey teams. And certain teams, certain teams you already know you're going to roll over. And, you know, whenever City play West Ham, usually, bar this season, usually it is a... A drumming, and it was yeah. a drumming against Burnley. Burnley weren't at the races. I think, you know, let's be honest, it felt like Man City had like 98% possession. It was a joke. They were just it constantly was. all over them. Burnley weren't in the game at all. It was just, please let us just get to the end of these 90 minutes, pack up, pack up our shit and go. Mares yeah, was. They were collecting the corner flags at half time. They were done. They were out. Uh, yeah, they were. They were gone. And I, and I don't blame them because Mares tore them apart. He really did. He, sure. you know, a lot of people, and we'll, we'll obviously we'll talk a little bit more about Mahrez when we get to the, the Brace Showcase today because uh, he is the the candidate today, but a lot of people talk about Mahrez being a, a flop at City, and I'm just like, how? You know, he's won tr trophies there, but I think the problem is when you go to Manchester City, you become this sort of like bit part player where you come in, you go out, you rotate, you know, they've got so much quality and depth on the wings that you're in and out every yeah. other game. But his finishes were outrageous yeah. today. He looked like he was gliding on ice, didn't he? That second sure. goal, wow. Just like, honestly, I was like, that's not even fair. Just past three Burnley defenders off the post and in. I was like, that's bloody lush. So yeah, yeah, no am I, are we surprised? Yeah. Obviously, the best goal of the game was Kevin De Bruyne's outrageous assist to Ben Mendy, who hit it first time in the bottom corner. That was just incredible. But no, I, I think obviously Man City have found their footing, but and they're back in your in their sort of footballing uh, stride. But if we're talking our City back back, like are they going to start making contention? Are they going to start making noise? I'm still not 100 percent sold. Mm. I still well, think they've not proven it, have they? And they didn't. They struggled in the Champions League to beat Porto as well, didn't they? Yeah. So. so I'm not sold that they're back back, but they're definitely at a standard that we should expect from City and that they just need to continue going forwards, really. 
Look, I think it's difficult. When a game is as clean cut as this, it's, it's difficult to say much about it. City were fantastic. Yeah. They created so much. They took their chances. Yeah. And they they showed us a, gl- a glimpse as to the team they used to be, effectively. Indeed. Other than that, I don't. I didn't enjoy it. I hated it. I hated every <laughs> second of it. When the score kept going, I was like, oh, great. Fantastic. But I put murderous, mur- murderous Manchester, and that's, oh, well, a myriad of goals. Thank you very much. Oh, the best yeah, part of the weekend. Yeah. But... You know, well done, Pep. You probably needed that. Let's see how you get on next week. I don't think you've got... Everyone's talking about if City win their game in hand, they're back in the title yeah. race. And I'm like, are they? Are they? Because let, let, let me give you some context. If United win their game in hand, on paper, we're back in the title race. But I can tell you right now, we ain't bloody in it, even if we get one point yeah. behind them. Because the, I, know, the same, I know what United are like. Indeed. And the same goes for Villa, right? I know they've had a bit of a dodgy couple of weeks, but... You're all sitting on the same points, all got a game in hand. It's going to be a tight, tight, tight season. It is going to be so tight. I mean, just look at the top. I mean, it's insane. I know. Well, uh, look, we're still early doors. I think after 20 games, you'll start to see some front runners and stuff. But everyone, it seems like at the moment, a season where everyone, anyone can beat anyone. And that's problematic because if anyone can beat anyone, it means that no one ever really gets going I know that Liverpool have got their Anfield record intact but yeah. I'm a big believer that if that Anfield record were to if they were to lose one game at Anfield I think that would buckle their season and they would capitulate because it's a mentality thing right for them sure. it's the fortress for other players they're going to Anfield which is the fortress but if one team does it then That's any it's team done. can do it yeah. so it's, it's, it's hard I remember a time when pe- players hated coming to Old Trafford they hated it now no one gives a fuck People turn up, they're like, fortress, what we want. yeah. <laughs> so let's move to the other side of Liverpool, the blue side, and it is blue indeed, unfortunately, very, very blue because the the renaissance <laughs> of Everton is is well and truly over. I think. Yeah, it's... it's kind of just. I don't know. The, the bottom has dropped out. I don't know what happened. Do you know what? I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I said, I don't think I've ever seen that Leeds keeper make a good save. And he made some bloody good saves in this game. He was finally on form. (laughs) It was, look, it was a close game. Obviously, I know that Everton had two goals disallowed and Leeds had one disallowed as well. The talking points for me from this game were Everton were wasteful again. Surprise, surprise. But one good talking point as a neutral was that Jordan Pickford finally had a good game in an Everton show yeah, again. Finally. He made two, he made three really good saves. Yep. And, 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 and the one where he ran out towards the corner flag as well. Yeah. He was passionate and that's kind of, we, we've been missing that. Yeah, he wanted I mean, to prove, pretty, prove his worth. And, and, and that's, that's what we like to see. We like to see the fired up Pickford because he makes the best saves when he's motivated and not complacent and not down on himself and despondent. The only issue, again, I would say, the reason I think Leeds score that, it's a great strike from Rafinha, not taking anything away from it, but Pickford is too small. That's why he can't get to it, because otherwise, I think he gets it. But just the the couple of inches, he's he's reaching, you're like, you're so close, Jordan, but you're just not quite there. It was a tense game, and both teams really needed the win. Yeah, I mean, it was enjoyable to watch, considering it was only a 1-0. Like, it was tension throughout, and both teams were vying for it, but... Whatever it is, Everton have just lost that spark. Whatever they needed to keep going forwards, it just seems 
mentality, yeah, it just seems to have disappeared. It's just a mentality. That's the, I think they just they buckled. All it, some teams when they get on a roll, they can take. It's about how you bounce back, and Everton clearly cannot bounce back. That's the mm. problem. They beat Fulham barely, and they will have been aware that they barely beat them by the skin of their teeth. Sure. Leeds are going to be a difficult team for anyone to face this season. I think. I think that's just the way it's going to be because if you can't score if you can't if you can't get ahead against Leeds there's always a chance they're going to do this to you and I thought yeah. early doors for Leeds as well. I was like oh the post again here we go <laughs> they love a bit of the woodwork don't they absolutely pinging off it again at Bamford again I know but this I knew I knew this was going to ha- happen with Patrick Bamford <laughs> we bigged him up and now we can't barely score but I tell you what he should have scored that was a great save by Pickford oh, any other day that goes in Pickford was just yeah on it Bielsa's sides are fun to watch really fun because they, mm. they always they're like Brighton they're like, are they like a souped up Brighton but they Brighton have this sort of like balanced mentality of they care about attack and defence whereas yeah, Leeds are like Leeds we only care a- about a- <laughs> attack and the goalkeeper's going to have a worldie today hopefully fingers crossed at half time and he did so they were lucky <laughs> I really hope that's the game plan I really hope that's what they're saying in the changing rooms right keeps just have a worldie we're just going to go full on attack we're just going to push all the way up the field and not stop I wouldn't be surprised Bielsa is so animated on touchline it's actually so yeah. so much fun to watch as a neutral because he's so passionate uh, I, I know when they but when Bamford didn't score and they hit the button, he was just like ah! and I was just like fair enough I wish Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer was like that everyone sure. wants a passion Ollie just manager. gives it a little knock for sure yeah and you know it's a project for him and I think didn't Le- the Leeds captain I can't remember who it was at the end of last week say uh, Bielsa has told us the only aim this season is to make sure we don't go down from there the project kicks, kicks on so I think it's important that he wants to mount as much uh, mount up as much points as he can mm early doors this season so that if they were to have a hiccup like a lot of teams do yeah or a bad a bad turn that they would be able to rest on their laurels a little bit and coast to the following season the premier league where they can maybe get some new defenders in because i think ultimately their defensive line is their worry everton is a much more complex situation to dissect why it's going wrong i think leeds are fantastic going forward if they had a little bit more class in the midfield and defense they'd be a very very good unit i I think i think in telling for them as a side is going to be the second half of the season when they start mm. playing teams again because i think we were saying earlier on in the podcast is they come out with a game plan per team they know what they want to do yeah we keep saying they just want to attack but they're aware to the teams around them you know they know the players they need to pick up and who they need to follow and if they continue to do that into the second half, I think they're going to be a far scarier team than they are right now. And if this is just, you know, the beginnings of what it, next season is going to be in the season after, then Leeds could be in the Premiership for a long time if they just continue to do this. I think as long as they never lose their motivation to fight and don't yeah. get frustrated when results don't go their way, then it should be a relatively easy season for them to stay up, I think. We're going to get onto this game next, but I think it's very clear who's going down this season. Sure. I would be shocked if they stay up. For Leeds, it's the ideal time to play Everton, right? Egregious yeah. Everton, I've put for a reason because they are awful at the moment. We beat them. Do you know what I mean? And that means you're back. <laughs> and not only did we beat them, we beat them comfortably. Yeah, they might have scored first, but you know, they after that they weren't even in it. It wasn't even fair. It wasn't even a contest. And I think you love to play teams when they're demotivate like that like I bet teams love to play Arsenal at the moment I bet they love it they're like let us play Arsenal let us play Arsenal 
Pickford was good. Yeah. Other than that, Everton are very uninspired and they need to start getting some run of form going. And yeah. you know, it shows how fickle football is. You know, five weeks ago, we're like, Everton might win the league. Five weeks later, we're like, Everton will not win the league. <laughs> Guarantee they don't. So yeah, that's just the ebb and flow of football, I guess. But sometimes you get, sometimes you get good games, slaughters, tense games, and then Ian, you get boring games like the West Brom Sheffield game, which was, I mean, really dumb. outside of what we're about to speak about is the fact that we know who's going down this season. I don't think there's anything else to say. Look, Sheffield put up a fight. I think that's the important thing to yeah. to say. And. Again, we talk about teams with bad luck. Maybe we're giving Brighton too much of uh, credit because I think Sheffield United are incredibly they just, unlucky. They can't catch you know, in the ninetieth minute when they, when they they broke on the counter and uh, he kicked it at the defender and then it bounced back to the player and he put it over the bar. I was like, "Oh dear, boys, <laughs> you are going down. It's just not your season." And sometimes, you know, things just mount up and it creates a bad yeah. mentality and it makes you miss easy chances like that. Lucky goal for West Brom, in my opinion. Everyone's like, oh, what a great I finish. Agree. I think it was lucky. I think he wanted to hit it harder than that, I think is, is yeah. probably the reality. So I'll give you a visual breakdown, listeners. Um, they're playing for a corner. It deflects away very much in FIFA fashion to the man on the edge of the box. Um, like most of us, we try and curl it in the top corner. He, I think he tries to do that, but he ends up dribbling it into the bottom corner or trickling it in. But yeah. because Ramsdale can't see him he dives too late that's what that's essentially why it goes in it looks good but it's a bit lucky but West Brom needed the three points I said I thought they were going to win one nil and lo and behold they 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 won one nil it's it was going to be a cagey affair and it was really cagey because it was a six pointer really at the bottom of the table the only thing I will say is I heard someone talking about Sheffield the other day and um, I took a uh, sort of note of it because it was talking about a Man United player because we loaned Dean Henderson to them for the last two seasons. He came up with them in the championship and then we, we loaned him back and he was in the team of the season last year. He was he had a very good season for them and they bought Ramsdale because they didn't want to keep loaning Henderson. I think they missed Dean Henderson so much because... Yeah. I just don't think Ramsdale cuts it. That's the issue. I think they concede, they concede so many goals. And I don't think he's a bad keeper. I just think he's an average relegation fodder keeper. You know, that's why he was sure, at Brighton. Yeah. That's why he was, sorry, that's why he was at Bournemouth. And that's why he went down with Bournemouth. And, you know, do you want to buy a keeper that's gone down with a team? Probably not. But is that reflective Probably of a systemic issue of... Uh, small clubs in the Premier League not being able to buy from outside the, the English pyramid or buying downwards. So who knows? But that, I think that's why Sheffield are suffering. I think what are they on one point. They're on one point, aren't they? I think one point. They are on um, one point. They've lost nine games and drawn one. Is that? But they've lost five back to back, haven't they? Or is it mm. six? Mm-hmm. That they're going down. I'm sorry. I'm saying it now. If they come back from that position, I will be shook to my bloody core. If One point after 12. 10 games. Yeah. Uh-uh. No, no, no. And again, Derby County will be looking at them like, <laughs> break the record, break the record. That's what they're waiting for. We, yeah. You don't want to see Brom, that. Many. I don't like West Brom. I'm going to say this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like West Brom because 
in Sir Alex Ferguson's last game for Man United, we drew five all of them. So they can they can get relegated, in my opinion. Goodbye, good riddance. Sorry, West Brom, for being competitive and contentious and actually a decent size side back there. That's when West Brom had Lukaku up front and he scored three goals. The bastard. Now, Ian, yes. I get to talk. I get to have my moment in the sun, even though I had a moment of darkness last night. My moment in the sun. Is yeah. there anything better in football than being 2-0 down and winning 3-2? I think that's better than sex. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry to anyone that in my life that may upset. You know, I remember we beat Palace three two a couple of years ago. They were t- they were two um, 0 up against us. We beat them three two, and we scored in the ninety third minute of the game, and it was a yeah. manumatic screamer. And I laid on the sofa at, 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 when we were living in um, Abbey Wood, and I was just I was like, I, f- I feel like I need a cigarette, and I don't even fucking smoke. That's how f- that's how hard the game fucked me. Genuinely, it was just so. It ruined me, but it, it's it's the greatest thing because to be taken from the pits of despair and to the heights of that elation, it's like I imagine what it's like what drug or using drugs is for some people. Do you know what I mean? It's that 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 natural high is just absolutely incredible. And, yeah. you know, we felt it when England won that penalty shootout and it looked like we were gonna go out, Henderson missed, sure. Pickford saved it, and we're all like, Oh my god. That's there, what it was like. Is- there is all yeah. There is something about uh, the comeback that is just extraordinary. To to go to come from however whatever your goal deficit is, and come back and win a game and do it well. And I think from your side, there was a clear issue. Fix the issue. Mm-hmm. Look at the team now. You know. And well, I think the issue yeah. in that game was United are terrible at set pieces. <laughs> On, we were all over Southampton. I'm going to say this with confidence. In the first 20 minutes, we were all over Southampton. They couldn't get out of their half. They couldn't get a chance. They got one chance and they scored. And that's the story of United season so yeah. far. Ben Rack, good finish, good header. The issue lies with uh, the coaching there because we are zonal marking in the box. And zonal marking, for anyone who doesn't know, is where you don't, you don't mark a man, you mark space you uh, assess areas of danger and you put yourself in that space so that if the ball comes into that area at any point, you are in the best position, you're not, to defend it. Whereas other teams in the league, smarter teams, better teams than us, will go, well, you're the biggest man, so you mark Van Dyke. Well, you're the smallest man, so you mark him. Man-to-man marking is much more effective than zonal marking. So we did zonal marking, cost us a goal. Then you did the stupidest thing you ever 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 do and i said it on this podcast a couple of weeks ago and i'll say it again now you do not give james ward prowse a free kick on the edge of the box that is that is football suicide and fair play to him i knew it was in i literally i knew it was in as soon as it went in i was like fucking hell it's on the left hand side of the pitch he's a right footer he's he scored an absolute worldie against us two seasons ago he scored two free kicks this season already. You can't give that man a set piece. He's so lethal. He got a yeah. goal and assist that game, and he still lost. So fuck you, James. But nevertheless, it was an incredible free kick. Oh. And his celebration, as much as I hate it, I was like, you fucking <laughs> bastard. You know, the, the whole, the whole um, pitching wedge uh, celebration. Oh, it was right. good. It was, it was good. A good one. But I tell you what, I don't know what Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said to them at the break. I knew we had to make it to the break because after the free kick, we were getting it. 
we were getting, they well, were coming for us big time. Indeed, from my from my point of view, coming towards the half time, Southampton looked like they were having fun. They were playing that ball around. They couldn't care less, and they were just gliding. And then you made the sub that you needed to make. De Gea needs to come off. I don't know what was with him. I believe he was injured towards the end of the uh, half. When he jumped to save uh, Wal Prowse's free kick, he hit his knee on the post. Um, so he had right. to come off. Henderson came on. I, I don't think Henderson. I don't think De Gea was at full. Oh, I would challenge any goalkeeper in the Premier League to save that shot. No, I, just... I don't think I don't think he was at fault with uh, the free kick. I just think in terms of his mentality in that game, he just didn't seem to be there. And I think that was affecting your back line. And as soon as Henderson came on, the back line just felt reassured. Yeah, and I think obviously we played Donny and a lot of us were feeling hard done by because we'd said if you play Donny, we're guaranteed we'll win and we're 2-0 yeah. down at the break and we were really under the cosh at the end of the first half. But I think, ultimately, uh, the, the shape was wrong. Mason Greenwood's body language is terrible because of the stuff that's going on in the press. It's obviously clearly affecting him. The fact... I don't know how Bruno didn't score that. Um, McCarthy's double save was absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. Mason Greenwood's strike was just speculative, effectively. When he knocked the ball back, I was like, oh, hello. When he spilled the ball out, I was like, great. Bruno, easy tap in. And he made a save. And I was like, it's just not going to be our day. But I think we, you know, I was critical of Edison Cavani when we transferred him. And I'll stand by the statement that we did not mean to buy him. It was a panic buy. Just because he's starting to come good a little bit doesn't mean, you know, it was a tactical genius uh, and we wanted him. That's not the case. If if you wanted him, you got him six months earlier because he was a free agent. But clearly he's paying out to be a blessing in disguise at this point. He's clearly an elite striker. He's coming towards the end of his career, but I said to you, I said he might do bits against the smaller clubs. No offence, Southampton, because you're doing very well this season. That's not me being critical. That's just purely a club stature point. He might do better against those, but he won't do it against PSG or that, and he didn't do it last night. You know, That's just the reality, yeah. because he, he he's in the twilight of his career. However, the man was masterful he was the tinkerer he was the spark we needed and that's why i put thomas edison because you know he was the spark he came on instantly got an assist with bruno rashford was incredibly selfish uh, uh, edison cavani could have had a a hat trick if, if rashford had played it past it um i don't know what rashford was thinking there like he just kept running rashford's problem is he's very very good individual talent but he's always got his head down he's never looking up for the pass that's yeah. the real issue I, you know I love Marcus Ratchford. I'm not going to be too critical of him. He's young. He'll learn these things. And off someone as elite as Edison Cavani, he will improve his game. But I tell you what, you can tell that Cavani is all about the team and all about the team doing well because he was happy to have assists. He was happy to score goals. His movement was incredible. Southampton could not mark him. They didn't know where he was going to be. And for, I think it's four appearances in the Premier League, three goals and one assist... I don't think he's going to be too unhappy so far, is he? Uh, And just the natural instinctual ability to go, well, hang on, if I get into this danger area, there's a chance the ball might come to me. And on the second goal, obviously, you know, we played it in from a corner, it bounced back, Bruno took a speculative shot and it deflected off. But that diving header onto the ball, just like no Southampton player even knew anything about it. Indeed. And I think this is the, you know, the beautiful sort of comparison is in that first half, 
there was what a shot on goal. I think it was off Rashford or Greenwood or whatever. And everyone just kind of stood there and the ball's spilling about and they're all mm. just stood there. And then Cavani comes on and he's leaping on the end of anything. I mean, that's yeah. like almost a full on strike. And he's still mm. like, yeah, I'm going to put my head on it. Like I can see that's coming off of there. I'm going for it. And that's what you need in the box. You need people who are going to go and go and go. But you need what... to you need to attack the ball, right? That's the thing. Yeah. And he attacks the ball. A lot of play, a lot of players in the modern game don't attack the ball. They wait for the ball to come to feet and then they move. Yeah. But his uh, ability to force the ball into motion is outrageous. That headers class. And I said to you, I said his heading ability will be leaps and bounds above anything we've had yeah. at the club for a long time. And as soon as that second goal went in, Ian, I knew we were going to win because Southampton were so shook. Yeah. They were like, oh my God, we've gone from 2-0 down to 2-2 and there's still 20 minutes to go. That was like, and yeah, it took us another 20 minutes to come, but Southampton was just so, they wanted out of there. They desperately wanted out of the match. They didn't want to play, they didn't want to play. And Shea Adams had like a, a half chance. And they, this is why you don't do this in football, this is why you play to the whistle, right? They made a stupid foul on us, and this is what really cost the goal in their half in the dying in, in sort of like the dying minutes. And I think someone said the commentator said, Oh, United have to do something in the next 20 seconds, otherwise it's probably game over. And then Bruno passes it to Rashford. Rashford plays that lush cross into yeah. the box, and Cafani's header is outrageous. That is that is Harry Kane-esque, is what I would say. You know, <laughs> the ability to contort your body like that, to get down. Guide yeah. it into the corner, and I think there was a stat at the start of the game because it was it, we played at St Mary's, right? I think it was at St Mary's yeah. that we played, and it was something like uh, Alex McCarthy, Southampton's goalkeeper, hadn't conceded in three home games, and in forty-five minutes he conceded three goals. Uh, but when you say stuff like that as commentators, you curse teams. So damn yeah, you, commentators! You always <laughs> bloody do it. You're a nightmare. Listen, uh, real conviction. It felt like a little glimpse of United of old. Uh, sure. I can't be critical of Oli's team selection this week because I think he got it right. And I think, you know, we were unlucky to be 2-0 down and our heads dropped, but he got them in the dressing room, slapped them all up apparently and went, get back out there. Yeah. Cavani's coming on. I know he he I know he, he dug uh, Cavani out a little bit in the post-match saying, oh, Cavani didn't have his boots on in time. I always had my boots on this type of side. I don't care. He scored a fucking brace. <laughs> And got, got an assist. Shut up, Ollie. But, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's an odd comment to make. But, but well, Ollie's well. full of them. Ollie's full of them. And, Indeed. you know, last night he spoke about fine margins and whatever. Last night he got the team selection wrong and we lost. Oh, well, on the weekend he got the team selection right and we won. Yeah, but, but you guys, I think you as a team still need to find, you know, your starting blocks because you're clearly a slow starting team at the moment despite the team selection. 100%. You need to, you can't keep waiting until second halves. You can't even start, you know. I think, yeah, there's something that needs to be figured out there where you guys just come out running like you used to if you're actually going to start, you know. Well, I think we, we did come out running against Southampton. Last night, we didn't come out running. We came out cold yeah. last night. And as any professional boxer knows, if you come out cold, you're going to lose. It's as simple as that. You've got to be at the races yeah. early doors. And a, a team like United with our attacking quality, and I think United are at the moment a team of two halves. I think our attacking line at the moment, most teams would go, okay, that's an uncomfortable attacking line to play against. You know, Martial, who's crap, but whatever, I'll put him in there just to appease other Man United fans. Cavani in the middle, Rashford on the right, yeah. Bruno and Donny van der Beek. You don't want to play against that. No, that's not tough. an attacking line you want to play against, right? 
But you take Donny out of there, you put fucking Fred and Scott McTominay in, suddenly you're like, because eh. we can man Mark Bruno out of the game, Martial's not in form, and then all you've got to do is worry about an aging Cavani and a Rashford who's, you know, so hot and cold, he might as well be going through menopause. Mm. And then you go, well, hang on. Yes, we are we are scared of United's attacking line, but I tell you what, we're not a scared we're not scared of is Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof at the back, because we know if we can get at them, they'll they'll yeah. fold, and that's what they bloody do. So I think you know United are taking the right steps. We are starting to we we had form in the Champions League. Now we seem to have lost that form, but now we've found form in the Premier League. Oh, so yeah. I guess <laughs> you know again, it's, yeah, it's, it's a problem with United, but. Yeah. As long as, as long as you know, when they give you moments like that, I can't be too critical because sure. yeah, it, I went from having a really shit weekend in the space of forty-five minutes to having an incredible weekend. That's just the way. Well, that's the way of football. Right? The and then, and then last night, I was like, I knew we were going to lose. I said at the start of the game to my partner, I said, I said yeah. we will lose this game because we have to win it. That's 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 the difference. And it was very beneficial because, as we're about to go on to, United had an incredible weekend in terms of point gain because we gained yeah. points on everyone because we because we won and everyone dropped points yeah, uh, that sure. were ahead of us. And even Leicester, and I, I told you, I bloody told you, there, bottle bottled jobs, it, bottled it for sure. But tactical disaster class. Now I've put tactical dis- disaster class here, not because I think it was a bad performance by either team. I think mm. it was a disaster class for the for the viewers and neutral because it was a game of tactics on both sides yeah. to ensure that neither team were in danger of losing the entire Indeed. game. Well, let, let me just... I'm not going to have too much to say on this game, this being the Spurs-Chelsea game, because it was watched with eyes shut, fists balled, white mm, knuckle. Yeah. It's not what you want to watch. Seeing goals being disallowed and you're like, thank you, that's... We're, we're safe for a second. It was just that constant. And you never knew when it was going to break. And as a Spurs fan, you just knew at some point it was going to break. And that's what you sit there and you live for. I mean, that goes beyond 90 minutes as well for a Spurs fan. That's 30 minutes leading up to the game and 30 minutes after. But what I do think is, I'm very, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm very comfortable with this result and I'm quite happy with it. But if Spurs continue on the form that they are and they continue to do well, I think we're going to look back at this game and be like, well, that was the decider. That was a clincher. Like, because we've dropped so many points here, slash gained a point, however you want to look at it, positive or the negative, I think is a very important game. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Everyone just zoned each other out. Everyone boxed each other out. It was all, it was a big clash. And that's how they did it. And that's how they wanted to play it. Um, but no one was really willing to push it up the field. Um, but I disagree with Lampard. I don't think it was Chelsea's game. Oh, yeah. he's awful in post-match interviews, yeah. but he's so arrogant and entitled. And I hate to say that because I loved him as an England player. I love Lampard as well, yeah. Uh, but he's like, oh, we deserve to get. I'm like, Lampard, it was a draw. Yeah. You, you know, you, you used to manage with Mourinho. Mourinho used to be your manager. Have some bloody respect. It sure. was a, it was a tough game. And I tell you what, Lampard, you know, you always, he always talks about fine margins and hypotheticals. He's like, well, do you know what? If Mason Mounds goal wasn't disallowed, uh, we would have won. Well, well done, Michael Owen, but it was disallowed. What's the point in talking about hypotheticals and, and having conjecture? It's, it's stupid. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer does it as well. He's like, you know, you know, if Martial scores against PSG, it's 2-1, it's a different game. Well, it didn't happen, did it? That's the, that's the problem. And I could see the sure. same. I could say Lampard, um, if Giovanni Lo Celso didn't mess up that really easy chance at the end of the game, Spurs could have won the game. 
Mm. Like, oh no, but, that's still Chelsea's game. Still Chelsea's game. Indeed. But I think at the end of the day, Mourinho is starting to spread that magic, however you want to look at it. And I think it's starting to infect Spurs fans. Because when he said, oh, I've got an unhappy te- team in the changing room, I was like, damn right you have. We should have gone out there. We should have done that. And I would never say that as a Spurs fan. Normally well, it's like, all right, yeah. Chelsea is doing all right, you know? I think my, my sort of personal opinion on the match was that you, mm. were, you, you did exactly what you did against Man City in the first half. You suckered Chelsea in. Obviously, you got a little bit lucky with the VAR decision. Well, not lucky. Mouse Mount was offside, but it went in your favour, I mean. Yeah, yeah. But you were you were much more deadly on the break in the first half. In the second half, I think Mourinho went, let's just take the point. I think that's what happened. For sure. But I think when you're top of the league and he knows that Liverpool have already dropped points, you can afford to take the point. That's the reality, right? Yeah. So you, you, you dropped back and you went so compact that Chelsea could just not break it down. And... I know Lampard tried to say he, they were breaking it down quite easily in the post-match. I was like, you weren't. You were doing speculative crosses into the box that you were expecting Tammy Abraham to get on top of. Yeah, all right, good luck. You were very effective in the first half uh, with your with your balance of play. You you wrote it off in the second half, in my opinion. You just went, we're, we're happy to we're happy to take the point here. And I, I think that's an important point because I said to you, I think the Chelsea game is more important than the Arsenal game because I think you're going to beat Arsenal. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I was just going to jump in because, I mean, the fact that we were able to hold him out is a positive in my eyes because we've been talking about how we've been worried about the Spurs back for the kind of, not even lackluster sense, but the sense that it didn't have a cohesion. But the fact that everyone will now drop back, everyone's going to defend, you feel comfortable as a team that you can see these tactical players going in and out. You know, if we do go one goal up against Arsenal, Liverpool, whoever, we know we can then just shut the game out and go, right, Guys, you're going to be bored, but we can shut this out. It's not like when England attempt to shut a game down, you're like, Jesus Christ, England, don't do that. Do not do that. But for Spurs, I'm starting to feel it. I'm like, yeah, okay, if you can shut a game down, shut a game down. But let's, let's make sure we're getting more than one point, I guess. Look, it's, it's, it's the classic Mourinho for, formula we've seen countless times in the past. At the end of the day, as long as he does okay against the big six and gets a point away from home or even takes three points, he continues to march on. You continue to march on. And I think it's very unfair. And people are going to say, Holy, you've got a Liverpool agenda. Well, a little bit. And I'm sure Liverpool fans have a United agenda. That's just the way it goes. But I think it's very unfair how Liverpool fans are trying to detract from the fact that you're top of the table. You are top of the table. They're like, joint, joint top of the table, joint. We're joint top of the table. It's, it's goal difference. Yeah, well, it is goal difference. And guess what? Spurs have scored more goals than you. They're bloody top of the table. Indeed. You, you, you don't share that trophy when you're at the top table based on goal difference. Well, that? 100%. And I know that because Man United lost the bloody league on goal difference. Indeed. And I mean, look, I was, what was the stats? I don't think Spurs at this point in the league, have been top of the table in about 35 years? No, they haven't. And I t- But here's another stat to deflate you sli- uh, slightly. The only oh, thank time you. That, the only time that Spurs has ever won the English top flight division, the, the only two times, they've beaten Chelsea away from home both seasons. So there you go. There and you didn't, And you didn't, you didn't beat them. So. You didn't do it. Okay, well... We'll see. Look, obviously, it's really early doors. We don't know what injury is going to get coming. If, if Harry Kane gets injured or Human Song gets injured, which historically they can and they probably will, those will be the really testing times for Spurs. And it, the same goes for Chelsea. The same goes for Liverpool, United, whoever. It doesn't matter. Arsenal. I mean, God help Arsenal at this point. It's getting absolutely ridiculous. But, but nevertheless, yeah. football is a capricious thing. And 
it's a long way to go, but it's, it's hella exciting. And I, you know, I liked watching Chelsea be pissed off that they didn't get the points. I did enjoy it because they, again, they're a team that think they are entitled to win things. This is the problem. Yeah. And neutrals don't like them because of it. Neutrals don't like Man City or Chelsea because they bought their way to the table. And people and neutrals don't like people who win too much. That's the problem. Every, look, we're British. Anyone who's any, ever had any affinity towards being British or those British people, we love an underdog. And I, I know you're like, what? You support Man United. But we do. Like At the World Cup, I will always watch the smaller teams and be like, come on, yeah, smaller yeah. team. Hope you beat the big team. You know, In the 2010 World Cup, Ghana, they were my guys. And when Uruguay robbed them, I was nearly as heartbroken as when England went out. I was like, this is a bloody yeah. affront. Luis Suarez, you are a disgrace. You, know, you always and look, maybe that's indicative of how bad England are at, at international championships. Yeah, we always, but we, we always have to have a second team, <laughs> right? Who's your second team? <laughs> because we're going to need it because we probably ain't going to get out of the group stage. Yeah. You know? And I think, you know, we, we do love an underdog because we've always been in the shadow of America in recent times, right? So we've always sure. been a worldwide underdog, even though everyone seems to hate us. Anyway, I'll leave that there. I digress. But you know, it was it was a very tactical game. Mourinho knew what he wanted to yeah. do. He blocked uh, Lampard out, and Lampard was clearly rattled and frustrated by the at the end of it. That's why he was saying, "Oh, it was, it was clearly our game." I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever you say, Frank. Now, the next one game we have to talk about, Ian, is a uh, a somber one to talk about. Okay. Because it is Wolves, right? And if anyone doesn't know, and I'm sure you bloody do, uh, Raul Jimenez got a horrific head injury in this game. The the clash between him and David Luiz going for that ball was w- one of the worst sounds I've ever heard in my life. It yeah. was. I mean, I didn't even register it for a second, like because I think the cuts are so quick, obviously. But you hear it, and you're just like, oh, that's just like a clapper off to the side. No, that's two guys' heads coming together. It is at full pal. I know, yeah. it was crazy. And, you know, th- there's a bigger issue we need to talk about here. So we'll talk about the bigger issue first, and then we'll talk about the game afterwards. But essentially, it happened relatively early into the game. And Jimenez, sadly, suffered a fractured skull, had to be stretched off in an oxygen mask. He went to hospital. We now know that Raul Jimenez is okay uh, and recovering. He had to have a, a brain operation, which is, you know, no small operation at all. Yeah. And he will be out for... I think they said about a month and a half, and then they have to reassess. It's a very bad injury to get. You know, I was looking through the history of players that have had head, head injuries. Uh, Petacek obviously had one, and ever since then it had a psychological impact on him because he always wore the cap to protect himself. Uh, there was Ryan Mason. Ryan Mason had a fractured skull, but unfortunately, uh, after his recovery, he had to go on to retire due to um, advice from his neurologists, which is very sad. Um, and Edison obviously had a fractured cheekbone it's not it's one of the places in football which has been a discussion point for a long time ian's briefly spoken about this about uh, protecting kids at a younger level about heading the balls and recently there was an adjustment to youth academy protocols with when it came to under certain ages and under 13s are now longer uh, no longer allowed to head the balls until they are uh, past 13 years old but i played as most of my family has they all played at youth level not like youth level but they played when they were younger they played for under 13 sides under 12s all of that right and I, on my team i had a good mate and he was known for heading the ball but he would come off that pitch with headaches and like wobbly all kinds of stuff because heading the ball you think oh that's fine 
No, people are whipping that in and you're putting, you know, you're going in, you're putting your head to it. It takes a lot. And if you're doing that as a defender or as a striker, you know, six, seven, eight times a game or a half, should we say, it becomes, the, gets being a thing. Like it starts to get to you. And I mean, that is the biggest thing that I think if Jimenez comes back from this, is going to have to get used to is heading a ball again. And as a striker, that's a huge component of your game. Well, I think whenever you get an injury, right, there's always this hesitance. I think it was shown last the last couple of seasons. Harry Kane would be scared to go into challenges because oh, yeah. of, the, of his ankle injury because he doesn't want to get injured again because it's about career longevity. You keep getting injured yeah. in the same place, it becomes a problem. But the head is such a risky place to get injured because we don't know. In two months, they could say, you manage, you can't play football anymore yeah. because you could do yourself brain damage or, or something along, along the lines. But obviously what happened to Raul Jimenez is... The, uh, horrific but the real real question mark that has to be asked about this entire debacle and it is a debacle by the Premier League and the officiators on the day and the medical team is how they let David Louise back onto the pitch at Arsenal is yeah, a I mean, absolute but, joke as, as they were saying if you've watched you know match of the day or whatever. Uh, I watch Shearer be absolutely furious about it, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm on the same level, right? Oh, 100%, I agree. Because I, I always hark back to it, but the Vertonghen incident, um, I think it was during uh, Europa or whatever it was, where he, he took a hit to the head, right? And he played on. But everyone on the pitch could physically see he couldn't play, and yet he wasn't moved off. He wasn't subbed off. And everyone was just like, what's going on? He was wobbling. You know, he was looking in another direction. He's like, just get him off the pitch. Look, there is nothing, there's no reason for him to be on there. And we're talking about a person's health, especially when it comes to a head injury. Just get off the pitch. And I'll look at other sports, rugby. There's so many things, you know, there's so many procedures, everything that goes through. Even American football now where, you know, concussion has been the number one killer in American football because they just clash heads no matter what because they think they've got a helmet on their safe. But that's not the case. Anything that goes against your head is dangerous. And the fact that Louise is allowed to play on because he's quote unquote passed the test, which is in no way did he pass the concussion test. You're bleeding from your forehead, clearly. It isn't patchable. I don't know how you've passed, or if he has passed, he should be pulled off the pitch like two, three minutes later and reassessed because maybe it's, you know, there's a, a delay to the, the injury. Whatever it is, you know. Well, I mean, there shouldn't even be a delay, but he should just be off the pitch. I think as soon as you've clashed heads, you're off the pitch, really, in my opinion. I think, obviously, look, there's sometimes there is assessments that they can do on the pitch. And I think, obviously, you have to take the context of a injury into account or a clash into account. But they hit each other at such speed and such force. It's like, how can either of these players stay on the pitch? And Shearer's, you know, fire was right about it because he spoke about a systemic issue in football, about how there's not been enough protection for head injuries in the sport since ever and how uh, other sports are so far ahead of the curve. He also spoke about how it's so redundant and, and so almost stupid that because the Premier League are so rigid on if someone comes off the pitch, they can't come back on, that we can't have an injury sub, which is essentially like a, you'd have three subs and then you'd have like an injury sub and that injury sub would come on just while they assessed the player. So say they had to assess David Luiz for more than five minutes, which they should bloody be doing after that head clash. He comes on. If they say David Luiz can come back on, uh, then he comes back on and the other player goes off. 
Right? It's about protecting the players, not just the sport. It's so dumb. It's, it's, it's idiotic. It's, it's, oh, it's so aggravating because I don't like David Luiz, right? But I don't want to see him have brain damage. No, for sure. But, you know, I really like Raul Jimenez. He could have brain damage, right? That Sometimes that happens in the sport. They both want to fight for the badge. They're both passionate footballers. It's not reflective upon their ability. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't intentional. These things happen. When they do happen, it's about protecting the player. David Luiz came back on the pitch with that bandage wrapped around his head. Literally, his entire skull bandaged up pretty much. And he was physically bleeding through like three layers of bandage. Yeah. The guy can't play on. What do you mean? What do you mean he's still on the pitch? It's fucking, it's a joke, Ian. It, it, it doesn't, it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, I guess the only counter that maybe there is to uh, this sort of injury sub is the manipulative factor of football. Because, I mean, we see it time and again, you know, rules being used to their advantage from, we've, we've mentioned on here, you know, striking the ball at people's hands in order to create something from it. I mean, Back in the days where I used to play, you know, you used to be told, I'll oh, just go to ground for a second so that we can get a coach on and they can tell you stuff on the pitch. There's all of these factors. So I yeah, but you can, you can use that. officiator's discretion, right? Maybe the officiator has the say and he goes, right, you, you are now eligible for your injury sub. He makes the decision. Yeah, right? I think that's the only way to do it. Like, it has to be that because I, I can see... He goes, thing. listen, they got to go off the pitch. It's going to be a long assessment. You now can have an injury sub. I, I, the referee, have made that decision for you. If you want to, it's your decision whether you want to take it or not. Yeah. But also, Arsenal, question marks have to be asked about Arsenal's medical staff, about mm-hmm. Arsenal in general, and about Arteta's stance on it. Arteta came out at the end of the game. He was like, oh, you know... Um, David, he passed the uh, concussion test, and you're like, "No, he didn't, Arteta. What are no you talking? No way, he did. You, you, you've sent him back out there because you don't want to sub on whatever shit house joke of a defender would have to replace him. And you know you have to win this game because you're under pressure, and you've elected to send him back out there. Listen, there's a reason corners have to throw in towers in boxing, towers in boxing matches. It's because fighters are too proud and pride is a dangerous thing and they will fight and fight and fight you look at Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder Deontay Wilder would have fought Tyson Fury until Deontay couldn't get up and his corner had to throw the tower in and his his corner got fired because of it but you have to protect the fighter you have to protect the players it's your responsibility as a manager to go hang on David's bleeding aggressively from his skull and just had a huge huge um clash with another player he can't play on yeah I think, it doesn't I think look there's... good for the sport either because what it says is it goes bloody hell they don't protect their players and anyone wanted to get into it is thinking hello i don't want to do that i mean yeah. i've been in a car crash in i've had whiplash and a concussion and i had a small concussion and it fucked me up for like three months it yeah. you, it's not nice so to go out there get the blood pumping running at like 30 miles an hour no it's stupid. It, he, he could. I don't want to be too dramatic. I don't want to sound like Sir Alex Ferguson when mm. they talk about a, a you know attack where he's like, oh, he could have killed him. He could have died. We don't know what's going on in someone's head from the outside yeah. like that. It, uh, I just it, it's, it's it disgusts true. me. It just disgusts me. Yeah. And I don't like it when people won't admit they got it wrong. And yeah. I think that Arsenal need to, they need to point the fingers at. All the all all the match officials and the officiators and the staff on the day and go, you let you let David Luiz down. Whether yeah. David thinks that's the case or not, you have let him down, and the whole world knows it. 
but but I think like you were saying about the pride of the fighter, like David's never going to feel like that was the case because he's out there playing and every player wants to be out there playing. But like we're saying, you have to make that decision for them. That is your team at the end of the day. Exactly. You need to take these people off the pitch. And you need to say, look, this isn't against you. This is purely so that you can come back and play week after week after week. Exactly. That's what this you is because do. we care about you. Yeah. We're not playing on today. Because I mean, you know what? You know, no player is bigger than the team, but no team is bigger than a player's health. It's as simple yeah. as that. Because... Yeah. If you say you can be a sacrificial lamb to David Louise, you know, he's at the tail end of his career. You know, in five years' time, he could have brain he could have brain damage. We don't know. We don't know. So why are we doing it? You know, that image will be forever used to criticize the Premier League now. And it's not sure. about that, but it will. That yeah. image of they let that man go back on the pitch and he's got blood pouring out of his skull. And I know, I know, and I see people argue this stuff. They're like, oh, well, you always get superficial cuts on your head and it bleeds more. Yeah, but it's, you have to take the equation of it. They clashed heads at an aggressive speed where literally it sounded like it was a car crash itself. And now he's got blood pouring from the skull and a massive bandage around his head. Hmm, I'm not letting you back on the pitch. Look, I think at the end of the day, like we're saying, you look at the context of that, just take him off the pitch. Louise definitely needs more than an assessment of, oh, I just need to flash a light in your eyes or whatever they got to do. It's not going to cut it. They've hit so hard. Yeah, I think Louise has got lucky because obviously he's gone in with his forehead, the strongest part of his head. That's how he's able to sort of, uh, you know, stomach it, shall we say. But at the end of the day, like everyone there heard it. Everyone saw it. And it's like, yep, take them both off. We'll do an assessment, full assessment, player safety first and foremost. But like we say, and the, the worrying thing is how many times have we seen players with bandages on the head bleeding through it or having it replaced, you know, back in the day when these things weren't as concerned, um, you know. Yeah, but that, that, that image of Paul Wintz uh, in an England shirt, again, is used to criticise the sport because, you know, and we've gone from this media coverage of, oh, look out, look at the last bastion, the soldier carrying on. Yeah. But that's a very negative way because, you know, Ince could suffer from that later in life. Obviously, we know he hasn't, but We've seen in American football, we've seen in rugby that there is a long-term cost to sports if you do not protect the players. It's yeah. as simple as that. So, uh, right, we've uh, we've we've touched on that, and as you can see, we're we're both slightly pissed off about it. And I think most of the footballing world who don't purely just care about results but care about the sports and the players and how the sport is upheld and represented are also very annoyed about it at the moment. Yeah. You know, Shearer is an advocate for that. He was furious on match of the day. And I understand why. Because players will have seen friends that have gone on to have long-term health conditions because they've not been protected by their clubs. But we're going to draw a line under that because we actually have to sure. talk about the game. What I, thought I was be what I thought was beautiful about the game, and I know that sounds very paradoxical yeah. to say, is Wolves clearly went, right, we're going to win this for Raul Jimenez. Yeah, and they did. They they were hungry. I mean, look, Arsenal were uninspired at the best of times. Both of Wolf's goals had an element of luck to them, but I don't care. You know, yeah, Nito came out at the end. El Nino came out at the end, and he said, you know, that was for Raúl. And the players said it as well. They said they wanted we we wanted to do it. Daniel Podens looks like a great buy for Wolves. You know, they they sold Diego Yota, and they just went and here's Yota two point They were like, oh my yeah. god, he looks he looks I mean, great. Indeed, and, I, and like you're saying, yeah, the fortitude of the players to go, right, put that to the back of your mind, do it for your team. Oh, yeah, considering the, their best player went off, yeah. yeah. 
and Drury especially was like, right, I'll step up to this. I'll do it yeah. for you guys. And like, man, he's a beast. He's, he's a unit, isn't he? He's a proper unit. I think, I, I, think, um, I think the incident that um, has been circulating in social media from Rob Holding just is the perfect summary of Traore. I think Rob Holding goes in a little softly. Traore goes down and he's fuming and Rob's like, he's built like a brick shithouse. How has he gone down? <laughs> it's like, yes, he is. I don't know how he's gone down, but he is He's a he's a beast, isn't he? Uh, he said he said I was watching I was watching a Wolf's YouTube video once. I don't know why. Sometimes you stumble on um, <laughs> stumble sure, across the these things on the internet. But it was on their channel, and it was like questions. It was like it was uh, other Wolf's players were asking Adama how he maintains his size, and he was like, "I don't lift weight. Wait, I don't lift weights." And one of the Wolf's players went, "Shut up, Adama!" <laughs> he went, "It's all cardio." <laughs> <laughs> there is no way you get that from cardio. He is the dentiest man football has ever seen. Now, I know Akinfemua is the strongest man football has ever yeah, seen, yeah. but he is shredded. He's for absolutely sure. shredded, and he's a unit. And on his day, he's unplayable. And he turned. He, he finally turned it on for the first time this season, in my opinion. Yeah, I and agree. I know he didn't register a goal or assist, but he was so vital in their forward movement and creating space. And, you know, obviously opponents and Neto are great and we know that there's that whole Spanish Portuguese element to Wolves and I knew Arsenal were going to lose even before the clash because yeah. Arsenal are so mentally defeated it is a joke I, again I've said it before and I said it again how they go from beating us at Old Trafford to losing three back-to-back Premier League games is absolutely mental Arsenal and clearly you'll love this Ian <laughs> I saw sorry to cut you off I saw this yeah, last night so it was something like um Arsenal bought Willian, yeah. who, are, who are third in the uh, and Chelsea are third in the Premier League. They brought Gabriel off Lille, who are now second in Ligue 1, and they bought Thomas Partey, who are second in Atletico Madrid. All those players have joined Arsenal to sit in 14th. I mean, uh, Spurs fans got to love it. What can I say? But I think this is the thing, right? Arsenal clearly, I don't know what's going on. They look awful. They're not pulling it together. Again, they still just look lackadaisical, bored. Like you'd think they would get behind their team, especially after the incident. But again, they just played. But as a Spurs fan, as much as I'm loving it, come this weekend, I'm nervous because I know how these things. It's like go. an isolate, isolated event, isn't it? That's exactly the, the derby is like in a bubble of external sure. external factors cannot cannot dictate you know sometimes that's why you get like a derby from a bottom of the table team the top table team and, and the bottom yeah. of the table team wins because there's just individual motivations and of course we'll be speaking about the derby next weekend indeed but um, i think for now i'm I'm somewhat holding my tongue about roasting arsenal's listen arsenal know, are very roastable at the moment you get that oven on yeah. you put it at a low heat <laughs> you slow cook the fuck out of them because they are doing piss poor in the premier league indeed Abameyang missing. Lacazette, missing. Granit Xhaka, terrible. Just had to bring that in. He was woeful against them. Yeah. Wolves were good. I don't think they were yeah. incredible, but they were good enough to beat Arsenal. And how long's Arteta got? Like, how much, know. Free, you know, it's about grace periods of like, um, he's won an FA Cup. How much time does yeah. that win him? But if you look at Ranieri when Leicester won the league, right? They fired him the next season because they were 16. Well, Arsenal were 14th after 10 games. Come on, like, what is breaking point? Emery had a better start than this. Wenger's had much more consistent starts than this. What is the problem at Arsenal? 
what is the issue because they were like they were talking about how the midfield was the issue and the attack was fine and someone said and i and i sort of agreed with them actually they said last season you looked at arsenal and you went arsenal were beatable but they had goals in them now they just look beatable and they don't have goals in them so i don't know what what's gone on it's it's an interesting one i know i I think arsenal just the way they started the season, I thought they had something going. And then as soon as they lost that undefeated run of, what, two, three games that they were banging on about, they've just gone. Nothing's mm-hmm. there anymore. They're, not, they're just gone as a team, really. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them slip down the table a little bit more. I think Arteta has to start getting some results or it's, it, it will be... Um, oh, it'll be, it'll be, yeah, indeed. You know, it's just another placeholder. That's how managers are seen now, anyways. Right, anyway, very good for Wolves. Um, very poor by Arsenal. Next game, I put Ivan's indignation equals vindication. So not only did Fulham beat the bottle, dobs, uh, the bottle jobs Leicester, like I said they would. Well, I didn't say they would, but I said Leicester would bottle it. So it is what it is. Yeah. Um, Ivan Carvalho, or Carvajalo, or whatever it is. Sorry, Ivan, or even. God. It's a minutiae. So many options, so many choices. He, not only did he score the penalty, but he doubled down and did it exactly the same way we criticised for him last week. So fair play, vindicated, well, kind of vindicated, being a little bit indignant about it, but whatever. I'm furious at this game because I said in our head-to-head predictions that Fulham would lose, but they would score the goddamn penalty. They went and scored the penalty and won. I'm very happy for Fulham, but I'm pissed that I'm not getting points this week. <laughs> the head-to-head clashes haunt you, Ian. Yeah, um, every week. Leicester were poor. Really, really bad. Very um, poor. Lackluster. Again, they were at home, right? And I've said this before yeah. about Leicester. Fantastic away from home. Terrible, uh, uh, terrible at home. It just, yep. It's the story of their season. Varley was missing. Uh, Harvey Barnes' goal was great. Uh, the, the consolation goal. Incredible, yeah. Uh, I think it was good, in a way that the two people that missed penalties for Fulham scored the two goals to win them the game. Yeah, that's what they Probably like a morale boost they needed. Lookman's yeah. strike was good, composed, yeah. great. Schmeichel can't catch a break at the moment. That Leicester defence are leaving him exposed. He's like, what am yeah. I going to do? <laughs> Lookman's coming at me through one-on-one. I'm not saving it. There's no chance I'm saving it. So I don't want to be too critical about Casper Schmeichel because I think he is a good goalkeeper. Now, again... Schmeichel is a good goalkeeper and he's a good penalty stopper. There's no saving that penalty. No, it's a good penalty. No we, way. Well, looking at that and then looking at last week, you're like, oh, I see what you were trying to do there. If you'd got that blinded. Yeah, it would, have been, it would have been great. But the problem is when you set up a penalty like that, like I said, you can only go right. Yeah. You can only go one way. You either slip or you, you score. And last week he slipped and this week he scored. So I guess it is a 50-50, right? 50-50, yeah. But the problem is, with that, is the goalkeeper knows what way he has to dive. Casper knew he had to go left. Yeah. Like he's, well, goalkeeper's left, player's right. He knew that's where he had to go. And he got close. I can't be too critical. Leicester are ball jobs. It was fantastic for United. Gained three points on Leicester, yeah. who about us in the league. <laughs> Love it. You know, other than that, I don't really think there's much to say other than Leicester are terrific away from home, but terrible at the King Power. They hate the King Power. They're done with it. They want a new stadium. It's a bloody disgrace. So I put Jack of all trades, but master of none and wasteful Watkins. That's not, that's not to be critical of Grealish. Jack Grealish is absolutely fantastic. And his individual strike was, wow, what a goal and a testament to why anyone should have bought him in the summer again. But Villa have finally come back down to 
earth. Because this is a game I think they could have won and they lost. West Ham looked like a really tricky beast this season. This is what I mean. I don't know if Villa have come down or whether it's, you know, West Ham going up or whether, you know, it's like, I feel like either team could have won that, obviously, Michael Owen says. Um, But West Ham are a good side. And I think Aston Villa still look good. I think, yeah, they're lacking a little bit of that spark and Grealish is still supplying it in, you know, abundance, but them as a, as a unit maybe is lacking it. But I think a very well-fought game and an enjoyable game as well. But yeah, West Ham look great. Like, they look solid. Does a question have to be asked about the Premier League in the last couple of weeks of how many penalties have been missed? Because it's been a lot. Well, I can just... All I assume is no one's... It's not really something you train that much on, is it? Well, obviously at an international level you do because you, you train yeah. for international tournaments and for, the, and for the potential of a shootout. But I think I saw a stat that 50% of the... I think there was 48 penalties awarded in the Premier League last season or something. Yeah. And we've already, we're already at 50% of that already this season. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I mean, is, it, is it a question of there's more penalties now being taken than ever? And because of that, we're seeing more misses. Because, you know, for me, misses used to be few and far between. Maybe you get a save, but misses, I'm talking about like De Bruyne's yeah. missed one, like as, as in not got it on target. Morpai's missed one. Carvalho's missed one. There seems to have been a lot of penalty misses. Yeah, I definitely think maybe it's because there, there seems to be more. Like, I remember a penalty being an event, like, Whereas this, I would be like, oh, we'll have three this week. We'll have four this. Like, it feels like this constant. Um, but I think there is a, I don't know, there's a greater sense of pressure. Even though there's more penalties, I think these penalties are becoming more vital and kind of just a part and parcel of the game. And there's a big pressure to score them. Do, I think do, it's just do you think it's like, maybe there's a, maybe this is going to sound paradoxical. I don't know, but. Because fans aren't in the stadium, there isn't as much motivation to score them because there isn't a concern about, you know, I mean, say say you miss a vital penalty in like the 93rd minute, fans will boo you if you miss it. But there isn't that sort of fear factor anymore. So there is an element of complacency when it comes to taking pens sometimes maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like, because as much as it adds pressure, you know, there's, there's a way that pressure, you know, they say pressure makes diamonds, right? So sometimes it makes a diamond and you score. You, you turn into a, a Bruno or Jorginho and you score your penalties. Or you, you, you do a Lookman and you, you try and penenka it in the 98th yeah, minute. Yeah, I, I think... Would, I think like, what I'm asking is, would Lookman try and penenka that in the 98th minute if fans no, were in never, the stadium? Never. But I also think just penalties in general have become such a finessed and tactical thing. Like, there's so much tactics in the run-up. There's so much thought that goes into how you strike it. Whereas back in the day, it was like, just hit it, mate. It's going to go in. You've got the thing so is, much I, I would agree with that mentality more. I think confidence is king when it comes to penalties. If you're confident, you're going to score. If you're not, there's always that risk factor. You take, you lean back one inch too far, whatever yeah. it may be. It's an interesting one. But the reason we speak about that, listeners, is because obviously Ollie Watkins did have a clutch late sure. penalty for Villa and he hit the bar. And as we've said not famously, but <laughs> iconically, maybe, I don't know. As we've consistently said on this podcast release, I have said, I think Ollie Watkins is a big game player and he can't do it against small sides. And mm. I would stand by that statement again today. Villa, it was a close game, is what I'm going to yeah. say. I've put wasteful Watkins, and maybe that's too damning because he's had some incredible games and scored against, you know, torn Arsenal up, torn Liverpool up. But you need your striker, like Morpai and like Watkins, to be able to finish when it counts. 
and neither could and you know again we're still early doors but when you when you think about teams that are projected because every team is get sort of their projected position at the start of the season to finish in the bottom half of the season season points three points early doors they all help they all help alleviate the pressure you can afford to lose games later on but I don't know. I'm just. I'm a little bit disappointed in Villa. That, that honestly, that's it. I just. Yeah, I want fair. to see them go on a run, and I, you know, I really like Jack Grealish, and I really like Ollie Watkins, and I just, I'm very disappointed by their capitulation because that's what I see it as. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but other than that, you know, props to West Ham. Good job. Uh, yeah, you, you, I think you we know, did very well. You're having. You're doing incredibly well this season. We've got West Ham next weekend, and I am nervous to play them and you know it's not only just because they're on good form but David Moyes used to manage us as well which is always an x-factor yeah exactly so we'll see uh Palace Newcastle um Palace inconsistent again I mean they look strong but I think well I don't mean strong but they certainly gave it a go and I think just Newcastle knew how to handle it they shut them out got the goals they needed and just kept it that way Look, Steve Bruce has now, I think it was, oh, what stat did I hear the other day? I think it is, Steve Bruce has now won more games this season than uh, than Zinedine Zidane. That's what it is. He's won more games this season than Zinedine Zidane. That is an outrageous statistic. That shouldn't be anywhere near it because obviously... We don't, we don't talk about the Champions League that much on this podcast, but Real lost to Shakhtar Donetsk and look very much in danger of going out of the Champions League if they awful. don't win the next game. Yeah. But Bruce, Steve Bruce, the new Zidane, you know, Real going to get rid of him. It's time for a Brucey bonus over in Madrid. But they look, they look good. I'm very happy to see Joel Linton score a goal. I will, <laughs> I will say I'm very happy to see Joel Linton not only get a goal, but get an assist as well. And Callum yeah, Wilson doing well. bits again, you know. Yeah. Well, not bits, but being that utility player that we spoke about, that effective machine, that stat yeah. padder. A good result for Newcastle away from home. Desperately needed it. And other than that, I don't really have much to say on it. What about you, Ian? No, I think just a solid game from and through from Newcastle. I think, again, Left they're a team... late, didn't they? That's it. Yeah, I think they're a team that's struggling to find consistency, and I think wins like that are going to help them. And they just got to keep, as we always say, do it week in, week out. And I know it's easier said than done, but if they go out on that kind of form, I think they're, they're, they're a team to be reckoned with. Mm, I, I would agree. Okay, so, listeners, that is the Premier League roundup from this weekend. Uh, obviously, there was a lot to talk about, so... Uh, apologies for taking so long or if you enjoyed it you're welcome so now it's time to move on to the brace showcase this week is uh riyad mares i've put a myriad of goals for a reason because he scored a hat trick against uh burnley he is an interesting beast but before we get on to him we'll just briefly talk about the state of the play in the champions league so chelsea have now qualified uh liverpool have qualified Manchester United have completely capitulated. They are top of their group, but they must beat Leipzig or draw next week to go through. So a very tense, edge of my seat, uncomfortable 90 minutes for me next Tuesday. Real are in danger of being eliminated. They have to beat Mucha Gladbach, I think. And Gladbach only need a draw against them. And it's going to be an interesting one. Very, very tense. Um, Other than that, everything's pretty much run the mill. So... I guess it's brace showcase time. So the Algerian 
architect. There you go. Off, off the cuff. Didn't have that written down, but there you go. Although he's not really much of an architect. He's more of a, a don't, don't, don't talk yourself down. You've said it now. Go with it. The Algerian architect. This is what will be known from now on. They'll be saying it on Match of the Day on Friday. Oh, school. of course. You know, Shira's always tapping me up. He's like, where's the puns at? Where's the puns at? No, uh, listen. Ria Mahrez has had a... Um, a very good career to be honest on paper and considering he's from a nation that has had very little success in terms of a, on a grand stage that's a really good thing you know I, I think in today's market everyone calls himself or today's world not market I'm not shopping for things um, in, in today's world I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm a connoisseur of football I'm an aficionado of football I, really, I, I live and breathe it I'm like, okay, well, can you name me five Algerian players and most of them are like uh Riyad Mahrez you know that's it yeah exactly and to be honest I probably couldn't I could probably name what Mandy the centre-back from Real Betis Youssef Attal from Nice uh, Silmani from Monaco look I've given I you know, four now you're just showing off like, I've given you four and then you've got to throw in Mahrez and then you're at five so there you go so you know but again you know it's like Polish players or obscure nations you just yeah, you, sure. you know a lot of people like to think they're into football, but really they're into just their team a lot, yeah. which is absolutely fine. And I think people don't realise that when a player comes from an African nation, it is a special thing. Like, you know, you can talk about great English footballers, great Spanish footballers, great German footballers, great Dutch footballers. There's a plethora. But when it comes from an African nation, they're few and far between. One, because there's so many different nations. And two, because they don't have the academy system or the scouting system that we have here yeah. young young talent here is primed and ready to go into the premier league big clubs or european football clubs you know and it, there's that heartwarming tale about how sadio mane got on a bus left home ran away from home to become a footballer and he and he has and he's become very very successful Rio Mahrez didn't have a, an impoverished life or uh, an underprivileged life. He actually grew up in France, but his, both his parents were Algerian, and that's why he aligns with the, uh, the Algerian national team. And he spent a lot of his youth in Algeria as well. But it's like, Ian, could you name me? Who do you think the best, best African footballer to ever play the game is? Oh, man, put me on the spot. Um... There's a couple. There's a couple that have been like really prolific. Yeah, and the main I think I think the best producer of footballing talent in Africa is probably Kenya. Kenya, really? Yeah, well, the, some of the players they've pulled out, or maybe uh, you know Ivory Coast. Yeah, so you see, know, I, I, I was thinking Didier Drogba. Yeah, I was about to say Drogba as well, but I think Kenya have some good players, uh, like took the Tories. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah Didier Drogba for sure. I'd say. Well, I think there's a couple that come to mind. There's like Samuel Eto'o from Cameroon, yeah. Didier Drogba. Then obviously you've got Colo and Yaya Torre, who, whose chants haunted us when we used to work security yeah. at our local SU end. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. On yeah. the way back from the SU on nights out, absolute nightmare. Then obviously we, we now speak about like the likes of Mohamed Salah and we spoke yeah. about the impact he's had, especially on the Egyptian national front in terms of uh, footballing status, Sadio Mane, uh, Sadio Mane from Senegal. So, you know, there's a couple in recent years, but you could look, there's a huge quantity of talent. In, you look at the Spanish team, you go, that's not fair. They're all world-class. But you yeah. look at these individual African nations and you see they've got one good player. They've got one good player. They've got two good players. They've got three okay players, two good players, one world-class player. 
And obviously, Algeria, I can't think of another really prolific Algerian that's ever played the game. And people might crucify me for that, but I think objectively, on paper, and I don't want to hype this man up too much, by the way, because I think he's in, I think he's a good player. I don't yeah. think he's an incredible player. I don't think he's an elite player, but I think he's a great player. So there's fine margins, right? Yeah, for sure. But he's the best talent that Algeria has ever produced. So here we go. The brace showcase of dreams for the myriad of goals, the Riyad Mahrez, begins with, not with a bang, but with a quimper. I'm sorry, Ian, I had to do it. His first club was called Quimper. I'm sure it's not pronounced that way because it was in France. So it was yeah. Quimper or something like that. But <laughs> nevertheless, he had, and the reason I put not, not with a bang, but with a quimper is because he was terrible there. <laughs> he was really? really bad. He spent his youth career at Sarcey. I think that's how you pronounce it. And he, he was there for six years. Uh, he grew up in France. He holidayed a lot in uh, Algeria when he was younger. And during his formative years, unfortunately, his father did die of a heart attack when he was 15. And he said... I don't know if I started to be more serious about football, but after the death of my dad, things started to go for me. Maybe in my head, I wanted it more. And he sort of, it was a motivated point for him in a catalytic moment where he stopped meandering so much, maybe, and really wanted to drive for it. And that was just before he got his move to Leicester, you see. So it was really a, a case of maybe demotivation or not wanting to step up a gear. I don't know, because... At Quimper, he was there for one year. He was there between 2009 and, and 2010. And, and French people probably laughing at my pronunciation for that, so I'm really, really sorry. Um, but I've never heard of the club. But in 27 appearances, he made one goal. He was there for one year. And then he moved. And he moved to uh, La Havre, and he played for their second team. So he was bought like, by La Havre, but like... Um, I don't know if you know how European youth football works. So essentially... Dortmund will have a second club. They'll have like Borussia Dortmund 2 or Barcelona will have Barcelona B. Just, do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah. basically they go and play for their youth team, but they, it's at a higher level. And often you'll see incredible numbers from players in that league because yeah. the quality is so poor. What you do is you drop a pretty good player into that uh, setup and they start banging them in. For sure. So he went to La Havre. He was put straight into their uh, academy team, which is uh, La Havre 2. Yeah, La Havre means the haven, by the way. So that's why I put his haven as the next talking point, because it was really his haven to uh, blossom and grow. Uh, when, they, when he was at La Havre 2, he made 60 appearances and scored 24 goals. So going from Quimper at 27, goals and, uh, 27 appearances yeah. and one goal, one goal to suddenly going 24 goals, 60 appearances, he started to find that magic, but... He was only there between uh, in the second team between 2010 and 2013. And again, this was before the death of his father. So in his own words, he was a little bit resting on his laurels, coasting by when it came to playing football and not really having the, the stone-cold motivation. I think you need to make it at a top level. Now, he played one... He, well, he played on and off. They brought him up. He played occasionally in his haven, but he came on as a sub a lot. But... In La Havre's senior team, he made six appearances and then he scored six goals. So again, you can see that sort of demotivation, yeah, apathy, no. lethargism, whatever you want to call it, where he wasn't really taking his ability by the scruff of his neck. Mm. Now, 
people didn't really know Riyad Mahrez until he came to Leicester and then suddenly everyone knew who Riyad Mahrez was. And obviously oh, yeah. we know this famous story. We've spoken about this famous story on the podcast before. He is part of the elite class of that Leicester team. That senior class, whatever analogy you want to do, that ran away with the Premier League title, title and you know shocked the world with the most prolific football fairy tale ever told. Yeah. Here's a funny anecdote about Leicester. And his in his journey to Leicester. So, before he signed for Leicester City, Riyad Mahrez said, um, was confused that scouts had approached him because one, they were scouting his teammate Ryan Mendes, but instead Mahrez caught their eye. Mahrez had never heard of Leicester, whom he initially presumed to be a rugby club. I love it. The reason that's so funny is because of Mahrez's build. No yeah. way is Riyad Mahrez anywhere near a rugby uh, a rugby player, and shows that. Let how small Leicester's stature was in the Premier yeah. League or in the eyes of the world before they won the Premier League title. Mares didn't even know who they were. But on he came in a January transfer window on the 11th of January 2014. He signed a three-and-a-half-year contract. It was also said his friends and family were initially sceptical of the move to English football due to its physical nature, believing that his style of play would be more suited to Spain. And do you know what? Without knowing the rest of his career, Ian, I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. The Foxes. Leicester, the rugby club I've put here. He had a terrible first season for Leicester. Very, very bad in the championship. Very unprolific. Oh, well, I don't want to say terrible. Maybe that's in reflection of how well he's gone on to do. Sure. But underperformed by his later own standards, which is probably not a fair criticism at all. Nevertheless, struggled to find his feet in the championship, but came up, helped him get up to the Premier League that season whatever my words got absolutely confounded there he was part of the first uninspired season at Leicester where they really struggled to stay up in the first season for Leicester City which was 2014-2015 he made 30 appearances five as a substitute and scored four goals and that's where they stayed up by the skin of their teeth and as we know the following year Ian they did the incredible incredible thing they did and I, and I you know I like Leicester, and I don't know how much, I don't know about you, Ian, but I don't know how much them winning the Premier League plays a factor into that, but I think it does because, you know, as a neutral, they're just so easy to like. Yeah, I think it's just, I think, well, the moment that always sticks in your head is that breakaway goal, you know, box-to-box goal that they got, I can't remember when it was, but that's the one that sticks in my head always from Leicester. Uh, what, against Liverpool, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's a quality goal. And you know what? Mares was absolutely insane from that second season. It was The question has to be asked about these Leicester players that played this club. There was N'Golo Kante, Mares, and Jamie Vardy. Those are the three that always stand out in people's mind. They, they're the three that really were the focal points of why they made that uh, incredible charge towards the Premier League title. He was incredible their second season. In the 2015-2016 season... He scored 17 goals in 37 appearances and one. And so on the right wing, that's a joke. Yeah, it's madness. He's also the first Algerian to ever win the Premier League. All right, take what you can. You know, so again, this is why when we speak about a wealth of players coming from England or Spain, there's plenty of English players that have won the Premier League. Yeah. There's plenty of Spanish players that have won the Liga. But to be the first in any walk of life is an incredible achievement 
and he was not only was he the first and he didn't do it as a rotation sub that came on and you know got got your your four qualification appearances and you, you pick up your premier league and go yeah i won the prem but i didn't really do anything he was vital to it he was one of their mvps it was him like i said vardy and kante the following season we know that leicester had a very very difficult year and unfortunately this is where a little bit of a bad taste started to come in people's mouths with Riyad Mahrez Vardy decided to stay Kante went straight away there was this looming question mark over Riyad Mahrez he wants to go where's he gonna go no one wants to buy him Leicester want too much for him so they struggled the following season he went from 17 goals and 37 appearances the following year uh, the, the year before to 36 appearances and six goals very uninspired the following season was the season that he really wanted to go. And sometimes players do this, Ian. I don't know about you. They want to go, so they start to underperform. But then they realise they've underperformed too much, so their market value has gone down. No one wants to buy them. So they've got to turn the magic back on again. Yeah. And we know from you know his history and what he said about himself that he can devo- demotivate himself and motivate himself as and when the mentality is right. And he switched the mentality back on. The following season, he had 36 experiences and got 12 goals. And after, what is it, four, year, uh, four years at Leicester City in the Premier League, one in the Championship, so five years, in the Premier League, he had scored for them something like 36 goals. Not bad. Really good, really good going. And then finally, the man got his big money move to where he wanted to go. And at that time, what, where did every player want to... Who did every player want to play under, Ian? Pep Guardiola. Indeed. You know, so off he went to Manchester City for £65 million. That's an aggressively good fee, um, considering that Leicester sold N'Golo Kante to Chelsea for, I think it was either £30 or £40 million. That's a steal. Mares is, you know, a vital attacking instrument, but Kante can really solidify and, and uh, galvanise a team. So, Man City, the difficulty on paper of going to Manchester City is what, Ian? Well, it's just uh, squad depth. It's competing for your position. Exactly. That's the issue he had, right? So he went from 36 appearances in the Premier League to 27 appearances in the Premier League the following season with 13 as a substitute. That's a, that's a bit of a, a reality changer, isn't it? Indeed, it's, especially it's, when you have league-winning sides. You know, you've got the Premiership under your belt kind of thing, and then you're on the bench. Well, it's that mentality of being a, a big fish in a small pond to suddenly being a big fish in a big pond or a small yeah. fish in a big pond. Do you know what I mean? And because of that, he made 27 appearances, scored seven goals. I will say now that Riyad Mahrez is considered to be a flop at Man City on paper by a lot of people. Right. Because of how many good players they do have. You know, like yeah. At that time, now he's not, so Mahrez is having more time in the team. But at that time, Bernardo Silva was firing on all cylinders. He was unplayable. Obviously, he's lost form a little bit, and other players have had to work their way in. But they've got to, on the wing; they had to they had to force into the team. Uh, Sane, Mares, uh, Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva, like those four yeah, options are mental. Yeah. Like, but like teams were crying out for two of those. I know, maybe I one know. of them, and they got four or five. Yeah. So he came in. Uh, City had won the, the Premier League the year before and he came in during the Centurions year and obviously as we all know and I hate talking about it Man City got 100 points in the Premier League whoopty fucking do no one gives a fuck 
But that Every, means everyone does. Oh, first Algerian to get a Premiership, and then he puts two under him. Yeah, so he's the first Algerian to get a Premier League, and he's uh, he's won two, which is very very impressive. Uh, yeah. Personal accolades, other than that, he's never had Player of the Month. He's never had Goal of the Month. That's not criticism because again, there's often a lot of oh. competition in the Premier League for those yeah. personal accolades. Second season at City, they did not win the title. He made 33 appearances, but uh, 12 of them as a substitute, and he scored 11 goals. So he did improve. Uh, so at City, he's only scored at the moment in the league 18 goals by second year, which is not great, but not bad. Mm. So this season is his third season at City. Uh, no appearances as a sub. Like I said, he's been more prolific in the team. Uh, he's made seven appearances and scored four goals. That's good. It's really good. Obviously, he did score a hat-trick against Burnley. But other than that, he is a five-time champion at Man City. In one year, he won the Premier League, the FA yeah. Cup, the yeah. League Cup, yeah. at the Community Shield, yeah. and the African Cup of Nations, but obviously that doesn't count City, but it was in the same year. Indeed. Still, you're going to take it. That's very impressive. Incredible, incredible career, really. Uh, when it, when when you come to think of it, just uh, he's rich on team trophies. He's a team player. Obviously, as we've said before, he's had criticism about his mentality, his mercenary nature. He wanted out of Leicester because they weren't winning anything. Yada yada yada. But you know, winners prosper and all that sort of stuff. Uh, he's been African uh, BBC African Football of the Year once. Again, he's not rife with personal accolades, but I don't think you could be overly critical of that because he's a serial winner, effectively. So in the Premier League, before we move on to his international success, because he, he does have some, he's made 206 appearances in the Premier League, uh, 61 goals and 41 assists. That's pretty good. Good going. Okay, he's the first Algerian to score over 50 goals in the Premier League. I don't think he's going to get to 100, but, you know, who knows? If crazier things have happened. He could tear up the Premier League this season. He's 29, so he's right at the peak of his career. Yeah. From here onwards, it's going to be lose your legs, start to drop back, not be as impactful. So, you know, it's interesting. Do I hope Man City win any more trophies for him? Hell no. <laughs> but nevertheless, he is a fantastic gem from a very, very... Yeah unwealthy nation of footballing talent Algeria I remember watching this with my partner because as Ian you know my partner is half Algerian mm -hmm. I've put Captain Fantastic and Algerian Ascendancy in 2019 oh, every year as we know there's an African the African Cup of Nations and it's highly contested because it's more hard to predict who's going to win that than anything else in the world really because as we said there's a couple of teams that have got one world-class player unit players, good players, great players. But in 2019, the year before, Maris had been kicked out because of attitude issues with another player for... They went on a horrendous spree. They fired their manager. They brought in a new manager. And then they went to the 2019 African Cup of Nations. For this tournament, by decision of coast, uh, Jamal Bamadi, Maris was chosen to be ca captain of, the Algeri of Algeria at the African Cup of Nations. It said, Maris scored, and I watched this with my partner because she was very happy to see them win. Maris score a 90-plus fifth-minute goal in a 2-1 win against Nigeria in the semi-finals competition. Later on, Algeria managed to win the tournament, which was their first time winning the African Cup of Nations. And keep, keep in mind, there's one yearly yeah. since 1990. 
it's 30 years, 30, well, 29, 30 years in the making, indeed. So, you know, he is a beacon of hope. I put Captain Fantastic. He led them that charge. He won the African Cup of Nations. I think the African Cup of Nations might have been cancelled this year, actually. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was skipped this year. But, yeah, Mares is a fantastic player. He's an interesting one. And we briefly spoke about his physicality or lack of it. He's a tricky player, right? And often tricky players struggle in the Premier League because of the physicality. But yeah. his dribbling ability is absolutely second to none. The way he, like we said earlier when we were speaking about the Burnley Man City game, the way he glided past those Burnley defenders is an absolute joke. And a left footer who plays as an inverted right winger is absolutely lethal because everything you're taught about in football is about angles, right? But when yeah. someone plays on one wing, but they're using the opposite foot to what you've, what you've been taught your whole life, it's dangerous because it's you, you go you to force them. You, you, yeah, yeah, you know. You try and force them onto their weak foot, but you're accident sometimes you accidentally forget and you, and you force them onto their strong foot and then they bury it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's, never, it's never the kind of player you want to come up against. It's an impressive career. I mean, considering his accolades for his nation and uh, heightening the reputation of that nation within football, like we spoke with Mo Salah, like that's the best thing a player can do. I mean, I think when we talk about English players and all that, we, we expect more from them because they have to do a lot more. But, you know, these, these people like uh, Mares and uh, Salah are doing so much more because they're upping the interest in football in their nations and they're great footballing nations. So... Well, I think if you look at the likes of like Agarlo and stuff, right, we, we speak about uh, the eyes of the worlds on, on football. A lot of these impoverished nations, and obviously Mahrez wasn't from an impoverished one, but you know, like Mane was in Senegal, they look to football and they think that's incredible, that's what I want to do, and the options yeah. aren't there. So those players that, that really make it happen are, are real gems and fighters and dedicated individuals who have fought against the odds the odds have been stacked against them and they've come out the other side and they truly love the game you get a lot of people that think in england i bet they think oh, i'll just be a footballer i'll just be a footballer yeah, in the footballing pyramid but these these players that come over from africa from these nations these hard done by nations where there are no opportunities and shine have come here because of their talent because of their hunger because they want to be there and i think that's why as neutrals people don't mind them don't you know what i mean like I, I, I wouldn't say I like Riyad Mahrez because he plays for City, but beforehand I really liked Riyad Mahrez, right? But that, that's 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 complex on a more level. That's just because yeah, yeah, of the yeah, rivalries. But like, I don't I don't like Sadio Mane, but I know he's an incredible footballer. I don't like Mohamed Salah, but I know he's an incredible footballer. Yeah, it's good to see these ambassadors for these nations, and hopefully, you know, they pave the way for youth systems, youth academies, more funding of football to come into those nations so that we can get more footballing talent from over there because African footballers are some of the best we've ever seen in the world. Yeah, exactly. And anything that makes our competition tougher and more enjoyable, we're here for. Hey, listen, I, I, I genuinely can't think of many African players that played for United, you know? Uh, and that's, and that's probably, that's, that's just, that, that will be just down to lack of bodies. Yeah, I think, I don't know what it, I think, without sort of generalising, they tend to go Chelsea and more often than not, I think. Not to, you know... Put well, Chelsea, obviously Liverpool have got... Yeah, and Arsenal, maybe? Arsenal, well, yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's tough out here. It's tough out here. There's a lot is. of talent and uh, a lot of opportunity. And I think it's just, uh, it's just the way the kind of 
I don't know, there's a lot of um, history to these kind of things. Like, you know, a lot of uh, African players do go to Arsenal because Arsenal invested heavily in French. And, you know, there's a great connection between Africa and France. And that's how they come across. So, yeah, there's a lot of history involved in that. But, I mean, yeah, like we're saying, anything that improves football, we're here for. And we won. 100%. We just love the sport. Okay, right. Well, that's the brace showcase done for this week. Hopefully, there'll be a brace this weekend. We only had two this weekend, so I started to get, get a little bit nervous towards uh, towards um, halfway through the weekend. But now it's time to do the head-to-head results. Listeners, if you've listened this far, thank you very much. I have once again smashed Ian up in the Fantasy League. Surprise, surprise. We move. So, Ian, head-to-head results. Will it be oh, a dub? Oh. Will you finally get a, a dub? It's it's, a so, dub. at the moment, it's 8-2 overall. Okay. Right. Okay. First game of the weekend, Crystal Palace, Newcastle. I went 2 2. <clears throat> you went 1 0, Newcastle. That's well, one I'm point for you. Close, mate. Close. One away. Yeah, doing better. Okay. So then the next game of the weekend, Brighton, Liverpool. Ian, you went 3 1, Liverpool. Egg on your face. Absolute, you're a disgrace. Yeah. Absolute foolishness. I went 1 1. Oh, you're a little, <laughs> I think you need to send me these papers after we do this and I'm checking on my side. Oh. Genuinely, you can go back and listen to the podcast, oh. mate. You think I'm going to go listen to it again? The Jeez. proof oh. is there. <laughs> Don't tell me there's a record of these things. There's 3-1. That's 3-1 after the first two games. Excellent. Now, we're both oh. back Man City to win. I went 2-0. You went 3-0. So that's a point eight. So it's 4-2 at the moment. Everton leads. You backed Everton to win, 3-2. I backed Everton to win, 2-1. We're both idiots. Absolute fools. What were we thinking? You're telling me. I, I keep saying this. I'm not backing Everton again, and I keep backing them. They keep screwing me over. West Brom, Sheffield. I went what, in? 1-0 uh, West Brom. Yep, so that's now 7. And I probably went like 3-1 to Sheffield. You went 1-0 Sheffield. <laughs> I'll cry now, that. Southampton, Manchester United. Ian, you went 2-2, didn't back United. Thus, the curse is real. When Ian doesn't back United, they win. I went 3-1 United, so I get the point. So that's 8-2 to me. I'd hate to be Ian right now. <laughs> oh, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just recycling on. jokes from last week, mate. That's how, that's how desperate we're getting here. Uh, Chelsea versus Spurs. I went Spurs to win 2-1. You went Spurs to win 2-0. We we're both wrong. It was a ball draw. Arsenal, Wolves. I went 2-2, was wrong. You went 1-0 Wolves, and we're right, so it's 8-3. I'll take it at something. Leicester, Fulham, we both back Leicester, like idiots, and we're both wrong. But you got the penalty right, Ian, so I'll give you a little little small P next to your three. <laughs> oh, great. I want that on the fucking scoreboard at the end, please. <laughs> and then we both went... Uh, West Ham, Villa. Oh, we both went Villa to win. You went 4-2, Villa to win. I went 2-1. <laughs> we're both wrong. So, surprise, surprise, listeners. It is now 9-2 to me in the head-to-head hey, results. Yeah. Ian is getting absolutely rinsed out here. Let's just well, be look, completely it's, it's, candid about it. It's, it's, it's only week 10. Um, it's only, yeah. But that uh, deficit keeps getting bigger. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of we need to work in the changing room and I'm going to put it out there on the practice field next week and uh, we're going to come back stronger. Um, it's, 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 it. it's these half-12 kickoffs. They're just not vibing for me. I'm just mm, not... Yeah, okay. All right, Jürgen. Tell yeah. me more. 
we're playing we're playing very often there needs to be maybe mm. some more subs you know, there's a lot of things involved as to why of course of course i completely understand okay so ian this podcast right. has gone on for a very long time <laughs> not that i enjoy it just you know how many people are going to listen to us for two hours so now it's time to do the prediction for the coming weekend right, everton burnley what are you saying ian Jesus, uh, one nil Burnley. One nil Burnley. One nil Burnley. I'm going Everton. I know I just, <laughs> I know I said I wouldn't, but I'm going three one Everton. A two hour podcast slates Everton for the full amount. Ah, they'll win. Oh, what can I say? Right, next one: Manchester City versus Fulham. Sorry, Fulham. I know, I know you've just done absolute yeah. bits against Leicester, but they're going to beat you like three nil. What are you saying? Ian? I was going to say three 0 Uh, four one. Four one. Okay. Next result: <laughs> West Ham Manchester United. <laughs> well, you don't want me to back you. You go uh, first. No, 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 no. Do what you think the score is going to be. I'm going to go two all. Oh, I could see that. I'm going to go three one United. I love free run United. It's my favourite prediction because it's just yeah. safe. Okay. Next game is Chelsea Leeds. Interesting game. The Banford returns. Indeed. Chelsea Leeds. Actually, is it you or me? Sorry. It's me. I'm going to go 2-2. Really? Uh, I'm going to go 3-2 Chelsea. Yeah, I could see it. I'm not lying to you. I could see it. Okay. Another thrilling encounter next in is West Brom versus Crystal Palace. Man, impossible to call. Crystal Palace is just going to go nuts and do bits. Um, I'm going to just go 1-0 West Brom. That's all I can think. 1-0 West Brom. Okay, I'm going to go 2-1 Crystal Palace. All right. Then the next game is Sheffield United. Sheffield, can they get a win? United versus Bottle Job FC Leicester. <laughs> um, two nil Leicester. Two nil Leicester. I'm going. To, I am going for bum, ba, da, dum, bum, ba, a draw. One one. Ooh, I thought you were going to back Sheffield then. I thought you were going to give them some hope. The only hope is that they get one more point. Right, Ian. Here we go, the big one. I get to predict first. I've taken some of the pressure off you. Arsenal versus Spurs. Or Spurs versus Arsenal, because it is at the new White Hart Lane, which is a terrible name for a stadium. Sorry about that. Um, hey, it's been named by Americans. What do you expect? They came out of New England. That is very, very good point. That is a very good point. Well made. Okay. Spurs, Arsenal. I'm going to go 2 nil Spurs. I'm going to go 3-1 Spurs. He's starting to believe. He's starting to oh, believe, I'm listeners. To believe. You have no idea how nervous I am going to be that day, but... Oh, I bet, mate. I hope you win. I fucking hate Arsenal. Sorry, Arsenal fans. <laughs> I'll give credit where credit's due. If the team plays well, I'll praise them, but it doesn't mean I don't sure, I've got sure. to like you. Liverpool Wolves. Ooh, Ooh that's, that's a... Tasty one. Um, Tasty, baby. 2-0. Two 2-0. All. Two all. I'm going nil-nil. Yotta won't score against Wolves. You heard it here first. 
he's saying it. Hello, won't, score, won't score against his old club. No. Can't do it. Can't be done. Okay. The next and final result of the uh, weekend or prediction of the weekend is Bright a South Coast derby. R- Brighton versus Southampton. Ah, that might be the toughest game of the week to call. Hard. Really hard. Really tough. So I'm literally taking minutes here to think. I'm going to extend this out. Um... 2-1 Southampton. Okay, 2-1 Southampton. I am going to go for a Brighton win of 1-0. And I'm only going to do that, and I didn't speak this speak about this when we spoke about United briefly, but Southampton's ma- manager, whose last name I will refuse to uh, butcher, so I'm going to call him Ralph because that's his first name, was very bitter, and he said after the final whistle, United ha- celebrated like they won the Premier League in the dressing room. Right. Yeah. I think that's unfair criticism and bitter because one, United have been out of contention for a very long time and two, whenever you win 3-2 from 2-0 down it's worth celebrating. Exactly. But I think Southampton are a little bit rattled and I yeah. think Brighton can capitalise on it. That's just my final point on that. Right, so there you go listeners. That is week 11 of the Brace Yourselves podcast done. We are still out here. We are still grinding, doing bits. So we thank you for listening. This one, we say it every week and it all usually comes about the same, but this one felt like it could be a, a bit of a meaty beast. So we, we thank any of you that are still here at the, the, you know, the tail end of this uh, podcast endeavor until next week, I guess, Ian. Until next week, my friend. All right. Peace out. Much love guys. Bye. Peace.